Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Stateside Madness podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. 40 episodes, Polly. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. And we're no, still going. Yeah, no, it's everything's turning out fine. It's been a great experience and uh, does appear people appreciate it. We have an awful lot of downloads. Yeah. All right. So we're doing an album deep dive today. We haven't done one of those in quite a while. Uh, we're going to be talking about Can't Touch Us Now. But before we do, The Communicator. In the communicator this week, we've got news about the vinyl re-releases. So uh, first up, keep moving. The 180 gram vinyl reissue with new liner notes from Chris, Suggs, Barson, Chaz, Betters, and Tomo. Uh, that gets released on April 1st. Now, a reminder, the 1988 The Madness also on 180 gram vinyl reissue. Uh, it comes out very soon on February 25th. And in this one, it features brand new liner notes by Chrissy Boy, Chaz, and Tomo. So look for those and order them up right now. In other madness news, on Valentine's Day, the band released a new digital EP on Spotify called It Must Be Love. And this included six of the band's older tracks themed around love. Polly, I kind of wonder if maybe they weren't listening to our Love Struck episode, hmm? Anyway, you can find that on Spotify. What time is it? Showtime. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about Can't Touch Us Now, which was the band's 2016 album release. It was the band's 11th studio album. It was released on the band's own label, Lucky 7 Records, on October 28, 2016. Uh, this album marked the return of Mark Bedford. So on the previous album, we had uh, Bushers, Graham Bush. So Betters is back, but unfortunately, by this time, Carl is no longer with the band. So on this album, uh, it did see the band branching out into doing um, a little bit more with instrumentation. So, you know, picking up things that 
they may have either hired out for other people to do if it had appeared on previous albums or just really digging deep and finding interesting instruments to include on the album. Uh, so this is the first time Suggs, at least in credits, appears as playing tambourine, although uh, we know he does it quite often on stage. Mike, in addition to playing his usual upright piano, electric piano, organ, harpsichord, um, he's credited with the glockenspiel, the celesta, the mellotron, and saw. Interesting. Uh, yeah, Chris also uh, played Mellotron on that, along with the Roland Juno 60. Now, somebody can probably correct me on this, but I do believe that Roland Juno 60 was a pretty early synthesizer. Yeah, and Batters plays um, tuba on it. So there you go. On the album, yeah, yeah. So in addition to bass and double bass, who knew that he could play the tuba? I didn't know that. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a he's a talented man. Yes, yes, yes. Also notable on this album, our friend Nick Woodgate, Woody's brother, has a writing credit on several songs on this album. So first up is the title track, Can't Touch Us Now. This was written by Chris Foreman and Lee Thompson. Let's give it a listen. Touch Us Now, the song. Uh, I like it. I think it's an interesting song. Uh, not bad for a lead-off uh, track. You know, it's got the, uh, a bit of a foreboding sort of intro that's a little different for them. Um, you know, the you know affirming verses that, you know, is not uncommon for the guys. Uh, you're a very hooky chorus. I think that's probably the great takeaway from the song. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. And as we just spoke of, uh, it starts to really highlight the interesting take there. Um, they're going with, with different instrumentation. Uh, you know, not the first time they've had strings on a song, but, you know, strings do feature fairly prominently in this. You know, I agree with you that it's a, a good choice to start the album off with. Almost defiant, as if they're speaking to their critics. You know, and, and, you know, hey, you can't touch us, right? And what is up with the production quality on this song? Woody's drums, they sound like he's beating on a cardboard box. They don't sound crisp like they normally do. I wonder what's up with that. This was the third single off of the, the album, incidentally. Uh, it was released as a single on December 16th, 2016. What's next, Polly? So next would be Good Times. Uh, this is one of the songs that uh, you mentioned was written by the Woodgate Brothers. Let's take a listen to Good Times. Good 
life today is understated I don't need no complicated Try living on the bottom row You will find it's not so fun Where did all the good times go? Lori. I'm here. <laughs> good times or not good times. What are your thoughts? You know, it, it definitely sounds like a Nick Woodgate song. I mean, now that I'm familiar with a lot of his work, I can almost in the back of my mind hear his voice singing it. it it's a very distinctive Brothers Woodgate composition. Definitely got a very retro 70s feel to it. The thing that throws me off is the person, whoever's singing back up on the chorus, it's not a voice that I recognize. It's got kind of a 70s soul feel to it, that that person, the backup singer. It's a neat song. It's it's unique. I like it. Polly, you heard me singing it earlier. Uh, it just kind of got stuck in my head. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a madness song to me. I don't know. What do you think of good times? Well, I can, I, I guess I can see where they were kind of going with it. Um, yeah, the retro styling, you know, by, by, by merit of trying to emulate an older style, uh, almost disco-y style, you run headlong into the good times song by Chic, and um, <laughs> it's kind of like, ouch, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it, does, it doesn't bring the energy that that song does. And uh, when you've got a chorus, you know, featuring the words, good times, I think it needs to be a bit more up, uplifting. That was a, a little bit monotone, I felt like the chorus was. So I, I would like to see a little bit more energy coming out of the song. Altogether, I think it's a fine offering, but there's just a couple of things that don't click. For a song that's called Good Times, it's very um, regretful, isn't it? Where did all the good times go? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, the third track on the album. Uh, this is one that uh, we've played before. It was written by Suggs. It's called Mr. Apples. Let's listen. A well-respected man if you wonder from God's plan Square shouldered, straight as a die The righteous truth will never tell you no lies But when the old sun go down He's heading off up the wrong side of town I sparkle in the red light glow Drowns and pockets, he's ready to How you like them apples? Well, we've reviewed this one before. I, I do like this song. You know, it's no wonder it was the first single that they released. It's one of the more catchy songs. It's one of the more representative of probably like the bulk of the band's work too in the previous albums. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like Hallmark Madness. And, you know, thematically, it's got that tongue-in-cheek kind of thing that, you know, the boys are are famous for so yeah it it makes sense it was the first single it is altogether very catchy 
I think that the, you know, Barson's piano riff in this, and the sound actually, I think the production value on Barson's piano in particular was really, really good on this. So um, altogether, I'm, I'll give it an A plus. I, I do like the song. I'm with you about Barson's piano. It, it He has a very distinctive sound to his piano where he's kind of almost pounding on the keys. And that just jumps out at you right when the song starts. Um, the song itself is about the hypocrisy of certain classes. Uh, it describes a devout and well-respected man who is a scout leader, pillar of the church, right? But when that old son go down, heading off under the wrong side of town, and it's implied that he's, you know, cavorting with either, you know, prostitutes, drugs. So it's a, a little bit of a commentary, I think, uh, politically. And I think we might've mentioned it in that context. I know we mentioned it in the Sexy Time episode because the video is really kind of, wow. <laughs> Situations I never thought I would see uh, Lee Thompson in. You only dreamed about it. You never thought you'd see it. <laughs> um, it's worth noting too, this was the first single off of the album. It actually predated the album a little bit. So they released this in advance of the album. So they must have thought that this was a really, really strong, strong song for them to be releasing it before the album to try and build the hype, right? That's right. So up next, uh, we've got I Believe. Now, I Believe would have been yet another uh, Barson and Thompson composition. Why don't we take a listen? Oh, mommy. Son, you know it's for your own good. Running from the chapel bells in worlds of my own. I'm heading for the glass house to watch the things I've grown. Oh, I know I caused an outrage in my Sunday best. But I decide on my belief, and you can have the rest. I don't look at you judgmentally, nor in a scornful way. But this lonely heart so vibes as it beats from day to day. So should I grasp So Lori, thoughts on I believe. The first thing that strikes me is Chris's rhythm guitar. Very, very strong on this one. You know, there are elements of it that remind me of Crunch, which was Chris and Lee's former band. Uh, especially the, the spoken word part, which I think is Lee. It sounds like Lee. Distance yourself from hate. like that spoken word part i don't know about the whole thing though you know there's there's parts of the song i like but cumulatively all together kind of falls flat uh, what do you think uh i have i have a little bit better um you know uh affinity for the song than i guess than you do i i, I do think it's catchy enough to hold my attention and you know, get me to remember it. That tends to be a good sign for me is if, uh, you know, if it has a, some potential to get stuck in my head or if by the time I hear it played, um, you know, I can remember the words to it. And I do, I think, uh, appreciate the same thing you're talking about with what you refer to as a spoken word part. Uh, I, I refer to it as the, the megaphone section of the verse 
a little hard to tell if it's actually a bridge or a verse. A bridge, generally speaking, only appears one time in a psalm. Um, so I just said for this purpose, I said it's an extended part of the verse. I do believe it appears twice. But I'm a sucker for a megaphone sounding like, <laughs> you know, echoey part of a song. Um, it, it definitely uh, helps visualize, uh, you know, uh, what me, might be going on, the intention of the song. Uh, yeah, and, and it's a device used in a million songs. Uh, and it's probably no doubt for the effectiveness of it. So... I'll give it a pass. It's not one of the stronger songs on the album. Uh, wouldn't rank uh, very high in my all-time madness songs, but uh, I think it's good effort. Okay, so next up we have a song called Grand Slam. This was written by Chris Foreman and Suggs. Shall we listen? I think we should. <laughs> What do you think of Grand Slam, Polly? Uh, I do like it. Um, it's got the ska beat going on. You know, after, uh, since Danger Men, they didn't really, you know, utilize that a lot in their repertoire. So it was kind of good to hear that. I think Chris's guitar, well, actually, for this, so far as the album goes, I think Chris has um, uh, many songs where his guitar playing is very notable. Definitely more upfront than it tends to be on a lot of stuff. Uh, but sounding really, really good. So in this one, it's got both ska beat and it's uh, almost surf uh, sound to it, um, I, which I definitely like. I think it's a pretty strong song. I think this is the, all the elements of it are what makes, uh, you know, it's, it's the best of what Madness does, but, you know, whether this is like one of the best of the best of what Madness does, probably not, but I, I, I like it. I tend to give it a, a strong pass. Totally agree with you about Chris's guitar on this album. It really is definitely in the forefront of the mix on a lot of the songs. Um, and, and that's good. I think that's long overdue. This song in particular, with his guitar, it really reminds me a lot of the instrumental which he wrote, A Town With No Name. But this could almost be A Town With No Name too. I think they really overused the, the sound effects, the, the gun sound once maybe twice would have been okay but i mean it kind of kind of reminds me of a little kid who gets a sampler for the first time and keeps doing it over and over now interestingly enough so grand slam to us as americans we associate that with baseball but they don't have baseball in the uk um i think for them i think this might be a tennis term i honestly i'm not certain but there's actually nothing in the the song itself that would imply sports the lyrics Wham, bam, he is the man. Relentless turbocharged the homo sapien. You know, the, the lyrics to me, they're odd. Uh, I'm not really, not really feeling it. I think that this would have been stronger as an instrumental. 
I really Possibly. do. I, yeah, I mean, I the, the instrumentation is so strong, and then it just kind of feels like these weird lyrics were just tacked on for the sake of having them. So, speaking of gorgeous instrumentation, what's next, Polly? Okay, so we've got a Chrissy Boy and Suggs composition. It's Blackbird. All right, nutty boy, she said. Passing me on Dean Street. She's striding through the puddles. On black stiletto feet. Guitar over one shoulder. Swirling swagger in her stride. And a well appointed pencil skirt, or maybe, just maybe. Right, Lori. Again, I think the instrumentation on this is just gorgeous. I had heard a, a demo version before they put lyrics to it, and uh, and yeah, it, it was absolutely just beautiful. Why don't you talk a little bit about this song, Polly? So this song um, is essentially a tribute to Amy Winehouse following her death. Uh, so the band and Amy share a bit of uh, kinship uh, via Camden Town, via the Dublin Castle. Um, as Amy Winehouse was coming up, she was asked at a certain point, you know, kind of what would be, and I apologize, I could have researched it so I could get the quote exactly right. But, uh, you know, it's stuck in my memory more or less. Um, she was asked, you know, what would be kind of like a highlight of your career, or if you could pick one place to perform at, where would it be? And um, it was Dublin Castle. Oh, wow. Uh, for a girl from Camden Town, uh, performing there um, really would be quite meaningful to her. Hallowed ground for anybody from that area of London. Um, and I really appreciated when they did this song for her. Um, I am uh, an Amy Winehouse fan, um, not necessarily reluctantly, but I was pretty late to get on board. Um, but I started to appreciate her uh, adoration and respect for the two-tone scene, which she has displayed many, many times. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I uh, started to you know listen to her stuff um, it takes me a lot to, to, uh, get on the bandwagon with somebody who, uh, charted so highly and was so, um, you know, out there and ascendant in the, in the mainstream pop. Um, it's almost an instant turnoff for me. So in, in hearing, you know, about her and hearing about Camden Town and, and, you know, seeing her play with the specials and a few different things, I said, I better give it a shot. And since then, I've actually become quite a big fan and really do appreciate what she was trying to um, put out there. So there you go. I'm a fan of Blackbird because of that reason. You know, I, I do think that the lyrics are a beautiful tribute to her. I really do. Um, All right, Nettie Boy, she said, passing me on Dean Street. She's striding through the puddles on black stilettoed feet. 
And there's another part where he refers to, she winked one deep black mascara eye. And if that isn't just Amy, right? If you ever saw the pictures of her with the, you know, the winged eyeliner and everything that just totally describes her. So I, I think that that's really kind of cool that, you know, they would write a tribute to her in this way. And, um, you know, as I hear in you speaking and talking about her, um, I kind of wonder if maybe she is not this generation's, our generation's um, Janis Joplin. Well, I don't know. Maybe I would say our generations. Oh, okay. Well, we're old. We're old. <laughs> speak for yourself. I don't feel old. I, I don't know. When did I get to be the same age as old people? I don't know. I, I don't know when that happened, but no, I mean, uh, you know, just very, very powerful voice made a huge impact, burned bright and then gone, you know, like, which to me, you know, it's like Janis Joplin. I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see if anybody uh, writes in to disagree, right? Sure. Okay. So next up we have a song we talked about in the last episode in the Love Struck episode. This was written by Mike Barson. It's called You Are My Everything. I'll always be around I never let you down You don't know how much I need you But I don't have to hear you say You need me to No matter what they say Or what they do to me This much you can depend I'll always be your friend Polly, what do you think of this one? Yeah, well, in my notes, I actually put, uh, didn't we just talk about this? And it's true, we did on the last episode. Yeah, I suppose as anybody who listens regularly knows, you know, the sort of love song ballady things are never really for me. Uh, however, this is one of the songs that I did put also in my notes that uh, Chrissy's guitar sounds really good on this mm -hmm. one too. So that's that's my take on You Are My Everything. You know, Polly, I'll agree with you about Chris's guitars on this. They are just soaring in this song. They really take the song to the next level. Well done, Chris. You know, there was a box set of Can't Touch Us Now released. And, and on one of the discs, they put out a lot of the demo versions of these songs. And there's a demo version of this song with Mike Barson singing. And as I'm listening to it, I, okay, this is gonna draw some, some criticism. I think I like Mike's version better than this one i think i like mike singing on this uh, on that demo and so i know mike has gotten some criticism over the years for his singing but i think it it sounded great i i have heard the mike barson version as well and uh i do think there's something about the unpolished you know nature of his vocal delivery that is pretty endearing like it like it was with my girl um, so yeah, uh, I think it adds a little bit to it. And I wouldn't have been unhappy to have that been the version that made it on the album. 
And speaking of versions on the album, uh, why don't we just move on to another version of me, another composition by the Woodgate Brothers. I've got a house, I've got a key, I've got another version of me. I've got a dog, I've got a cat, I've got my coat. one so um i think this is maybe one of the better known songs to madness fans off of this album i think that they actually do play it live the thing that stands out to me on this one is better's bass i think that that to me is really the strongest part um the lyrics are kind of cutesy but that's okay i mean I, I i think it works um one thing worth noting about this song is this is in a list format, which we've seen before, right? Baggy Trousers was done in a list format. Uh, prior to that, Reasons to be Cheerful, Part 3 by Ian Dury. So it's a format that is well-known and well-loved by Madness fans. So it's not, not, not a bad song. It's not their best. Yeah. Um, now, we've talked about this in another episode. I can't quite remember which one, but it may have been woody the woody episode um and i'm pretty sure i'm on record as saying i really genuinely love this song and so i may as well say it again i really genuinely love this song yeah i think it's super super strong incredibly hooky uh it's a definite earworm okay so next up speaking of earworms <laughs> bumbo jumbo let's listen So that was mumbo jumbo. Polly, what are your thoughts? Well, it is, uh, you know, kind of pure Tomo. So that I like, uh, you know, it's another song where they went back to a ska beat. Um, does not bother me in the least bit. Happy to see them do that. Um, I think it's a really, really strong song. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, to me, it's a it's a highlight of the album and it would not disappoint me at all to see this played live. I wouldn't mind seeing it played live either. Um, so we have Lee on vocals. And he co-wrote the song with his former bandmate from the Dance Brigade, Keith Finch. So they, that was an earlier like ska band that Lee was a member of. 
I mean, yeah, it's a fun song. I think it's one of the better songs on the album. And moving on, folks, you may remember a couple episodes ago, the Herbert Awards. Well, here is where that came from. This is the song Herbert. It's written by Barson and Suggs. Let's take a listen. But he stepped sideways firmly, a prop forward from Burnley. I felt like I walked into a brick wall. He menacingly whispered, Sonny Jim, I know exactly where you've been. Stop now or believe me, you will fall. She was the preacher's daughter, a rugby playing porter, who'd become a wealthy hotelier. Before he got the calling that fuels his stonewalling, he wants to put me on my derriere. Oh, yeah, the wages of sin. There's a big fat bloke trying to do me in. But I can't hide and I can't run. All right, Lori, thoughts on Herbert? Well, we missed this one for the Sexy Time for Madness episode, didn't we? This is one it probably, did, yeah. this one should have been there. My chances getting slimmer, my hopes were getting dimmer. So I grabbed her and took her in the loo. Ew. It, charming, <laughs> ch charming gentleman. What did you think? Uh, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, the, the song in itself just does not, um, doesn't grab me. Uh, yeah. It just, I don't know. It's, 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 I thought just a little forgettable. Well, so. Not, not one of my favorites. So you and I had talked at one time about what a Herbert is or what a Herbert means. So it's, it's a, a British slang term. Um, according to lexico.com, an undistinguished or foolish man or youth. <laughs> I, I had actually come across the, the word I just read. Uh, I just read Steve Jones's memoir and he refers to himself and his friends as a bunch of Herberts. It just sounds very strange to my American ears, not for the least of which reason is uh, my great-grandfather was named Herbert. <laughs> so um, he's probably rolling over in his grave, but no, yeah, you know, I, I agree. This is really not a, a very strong song for them. So it's unusual that they would choose to make this a single. This was their second single off the album unusual choice okay so next up we have yet another brothers woodgate composition woody and his brother nick wrote this song it's called don't leave the past behind you It's uh, yet another song where um, it's a bit more of Chris's guitar than we're used to, uh, although I like it. 
on the whole, I'd say it's a good song, but it's a little bit more aggressively pop than, you know, I kind of want out of the band. You know, there's an important distinction to be made that, you know, they were early on a ska band. We've talked about this. We've had, of course, interviewed Chris before who's talked about it. Um, the band seems to want to establish that early on they were not solely a ska band, but I, I kind of think they were a little bit more towards the beginning than, than they um, maybe should rightfully acknowledge. But for all intents and purposes, after that, from about absolutely on, uh, you know, they are a pop band, so they should be doing pop music. However, this falls to me just a little bit outside of um, what I'm comfortable with hearing from them pop-wise. So I think this is a little bit more like, uh, you know, maybe older fellas uh, trying to get at what is at the core of pop music, you know, now. So I don't know. To me, it's a, it's, it's a strong effort. It's a good song, but just a little outside of what I want from Madness. Mm. You know, it opens with that nice, strong Mike Barson piano song. I love that. And, you know, we've been talking about Chris's guitar on this album, and they definitely brought it forward in the mix. It's really, really distinctive and noticeable here. Other than that, yeah, I don't. It's kind of, yeah, maybe even a little bit bland. Now, that's not to say that that I think that that's, the songwriting, I think that that's just, it's the band's take on it. I think in, in other hands, I think this would have been a very strong song, but for whatever reason, I don't know. I'm just not feeling this one. Next up, we've got a Chris Foreman and Tomo composition. It's Don't Let Them Catch You Crying. thoughts on don't let them catch you crying well you know this is another one that i think the demo is almost i don't want to say it's better than the than the the one they released the demo i think has um has lee singing again right and um i i, I can hear crunch in there i can hear a crunch which which is as our listeners know i'm a huge fan of crunch very distinct from madness right crunch is not madness they have a very distinctive sound but then when when this comes back to madness with Suggs on the vocal i don't know it, it's it, it's again i think it's very bland what do you think uh i don't i don't necessarily disagree i i do think it's really really catchy i think it's the basis for a really um good song 
the production value one is really, really good. And across the board too, I don't think there's a weak spot where you can say, oh, I'm not really seeing one or the other um, of the members not really coming through on it. So I think it had the setup to really be something quite special. But I think I get where you're going with that with the reference to crunch. Actually making this a lot more dramatic and um, oddball might have really put this one over the top. There you go. That That's a very good way of putting it. Thank you. Okay, so next up, we have a song called Pam the Hawk. written by Mike Barson and Suggs. Polly, tell us what you think. Uh, God, I, I'm really conflicted with this. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, downbeat, slow tempo song, which I think people know that I'm not going to really be keen on, but um, it's, it's peculiar in a lot of ways. It's got the, the instrumentation, you know, strip the vocals away and it's got this, you know, sort of sultry sentimentality to it, you know? And then you add the lyrics in, which are really poignant, but really kind of a bit of a downer. If this would have been some sort of uh, croony um, torch song thematically with the music, I think it would be outstanding. But uh, with it being, you know, about a woman with a serious gambling problem. Um, yeah, of course, it's not going to be, a, you know, a upbeat sound system banger. But um, even though it's got slow, you know, uh, dour sort of instrumentation, I still don't think the lyrics and the music yeah. fit together. I agree. I agree. I, there, there's a disconnect. Um, it opens with that electronic casino slot machine sound. And, you know, I think they overdid it. And the songs on this album where they've put in sound effects, they stick out like sore thumbs. But, you know, I got to thinking about this. Most of, maybe not most, but many of the songs on this album are about a person. Right, we have Blackbird that's about Amy Winehouse. We have Herbert, we have Mr. Apples, we have Pam the Hawk. And Polly, in American literature, did in high school, when you took American literature, did you ever have to read the Spoon River anthology? Uh, no, okay. uh, not that I would have. I had a tendency to not read anything I was assigned. Well, you know, as I'm thinking about this, so the Spoon River anthology, it's like every chapter is a story about a different person that lives in the Spoon River area. It's all fiction. But that's what this album kind of is like for me. It's like the Spoon River anthology. It's like every song is a profile about a different person. 
Now, whether or not that works, maybe, maybe not so much, but uh, yeah. So maybe that, that, that's me being all like professorial again. It is, it is you being professorial. <laughs> you could have been, you could have been uh, on Gilligan's Island with that level. Of... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't um, know how to make a radio out of coconuts. That's, that's okay. Um, you, you, you do well. It could have been, it could have been Ginger, Marianne, and Lori. Um, okay. Up next, given the opportunity, it is another Christy Boy and Tom O composition. Let's take a listen. Can you remember the first time? Oh, temptation took a hold of you. Gazed and gazed into the mirror Hanging from the bathroom wall And they decided Just exactly Where it was you were going to Given the opportunity You'd strip me bare Given the opportunity you take me All right, Lori, given the opportunity. Well, it's a very bland ska song, isn't it? Um, I listened to it again right before we started recording because, you know, even though I've listened to this album three times in the past week, I couldn't for the life of me remember this song. It just, it, it, it erases from my mind as soon as it's over. It's, it's weird. Maybe there's some kind of weird Doctor Who thing going on with the silence in this. <laughs> I don't know. What, what do you think of this song? So I think I'm in agreement with you here where you said very bland ska song. I don't think it's that bland. I'm kind of all right with this song, but it does have what I would call a languid ska beat. That's only assuming I'm using the word languid, right? But um, it is ska, but it's got this um, uh, almost, uh, it's not merely on the offbeat it's almost lagging a little bit um and so yeah it's uh you know it's got that element to it then juxtaposed with that very manic orchestration happening in it as well um you know there's a couple of things i do like about that i think it's very ambitious but whether they pulled it off i think i'd say it's going to be 50-50 if you pulled fans. Some fans are going to be like, I loved it. It was great. I think some fans are going to be kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Just did not kind of click. So I, I'd find myself right in the middle of that at the risk of, you know, not sounding like I'm not trying to take a stand. I genuinely don't know how I feel about this song. Fair enough. Okay, next up we have uh, Soul Denying. And I think this is another one that we might have talked about last week as well, written by Mike and Lee. Let's listen. I may not have anything to offer in return, but I've longed for your loving since the day's first dawn. Oh. 
Holly, tell us about soul denying. What do you think? Looking at my notes, uh, the only thing I wrote down was, yeah, not my thing. Um, <laughs> as it turns out, when the boys get writing or get in the studio, they're not making albums just for me. I was surprised to learn that. Um, but uh, yeah, there's just, uh, there's nothing I'm going to latch on with a song like this. There's just nothing, nothing for Polly. I'm, mm. I'm hopeful other people like it, but not for me. Well, I like it more than you do um, because I think that there's some, some very strong meaning in the lyrics. You know, I think we talked about this last episode. Did you ever get to marry that man next door? Again, this is one that I think has a lot of potential, but it's missing something. There's something that needs to take this up to a higher level. And I'm not sure what that is. All the components are there. All the components are there for a good, good song. But for some reason, it, it just isn't, doesn't come together right. But lyrically, I think it's very strong. Okay, you're up next. And the last track we're going to talk about today, it's a Barson and Thompson composition. It's Whistle in the Dark. Whistle in the dark. Oh, well, Madness has really done that circusy theme to death, haven't they? I mean, it was really kind of cool and, and unique when they did House of Fun back in 82. You know, then they kind of dragged it out a little bit. I mean, we had Circus Freaks in, in 2012, and now this. And, you know, it's almost starting to become gimmicky for them. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of this one. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it either. Uh, we talked about when we were reviewing The Liberty of Norton Fullgate. Um, I believe I mentioned the ambitiousness of a song like Liberty of Norton Fullgate. And when you do a song that's inherent on such a... Um, uh, being ambitious thematically and um, sort of a, in a, a, a sensory sort of capacity. When you're doing something that ambitious, you got to stick the landing. And I think that's kind of what they were attempting to do a little bit here, but yes, relying very, very heavily on the circus sort of theme thing. And it, it's, it, it, they didn't do it. It, it kind of falls apart a bit. Um, you know, some people loved watching Evil Knievel because they knew he was going to crash. Some people hated watching Evil Knievel because 
if you didn't stick the landing, it was a horrible thing. So that's kind of where I am. I'm in the ladder. I'm like, oh my God, it didn't work, you mm -hmm. know? And not not to mention that, it's I'm pretty sure it's it's uh the melody is uh the teddy bear's picnic. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that We're one. Pretty I know, close, I, at least it's got elements of it. Huh. I, I don't think I know the teddy bear's picnic. I know the ladybug's picnic. What? Yeah, I'll have to look that one up. Okay, well, do you do that? More <clears throat> extra credit for you, Lori. Oh, goody. Well, that's the end of the album. Um, before I ask you your favorite track, Polly, any closing thoughts on the album? Yeah, well, you know, it's, so it's Madness's last album. And if um, you think about things post, you know, Liberty of Norton Folgate, I guess we've really got, what do we got? We've got um, we, we, see, see, I, yeah, da, da, in this, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's nothing else in there. So I, you know, I consume an awful lot of music and I've got a handful of bands that I still will buy every last little thing that they put out. Madness is one of those. And I think there's something that, that plagues a lot of artists and a lot of albums late in people's career. And it's kind of like a double whammy. It's got kind of, these things have two strikes against them. There's one from the artist's perspective where artists can struggle too hard late in their career to sort of um, you know, find that magic. Not I'm not saying that that's what happened here. I'll leave that for our listeners to determine. But in sometimes in their earnest effort to really connect and deliver to fans what they feel their fans want, um, I think that sort of pressure can um, can inadvertently, uh, you know, stumble them up. It can make them the the pressure's too great, and rather than playing to what their strengths may be as fifty year old men, sixty year old men, or something like that, it's just you know it's just not there. Maybe they with what they did take the pressure off themselves. Um, do what was working for them right then in that moment, maybe albums would be, you know, a little bit, a little bit better. The other side of the coin is as fans, we become very demanding of bands to deliver what they cannot, which is to make us feel like we did when we were uh, teenagers or 20 somethings, you know, they can't, they can't do that type of magic. I don't care what anybody says. So, um, you know, later albums aren't going to resonate with fans um, nearly as much as early work. And because they don't resonate, then we have a tendency to blame the bands. Whereas really it's just situational and we should kind of ease off a little bit and not be so critical of the bands. So, so far as that goes, you know, can't touch us now. It's probably, if I try to think of it unbiasedly, it's a very solid effort in an altogether fine album, but I'm just not going to reach for it that often. And that's probably because of who I am now compared to, you know, maybe who Madness is. So there you go. That's a lot of pontificating. I, I hope everybody bared with me. Good word, pontificating. <laughs> Good word. Well, um, I get what you're saying. And I think that, especially after Liberty of Norton Folgate, I think that they set the bar for themselves very high. And I, I get that. 
and I also get that there's kind of this trap that I think people sometimes fall into where once you like a band that you expect that they're going to keep repeating themselves and doing the same thing over and over. I don't know that it's necessarily true that people are just not going to like, you know, their newer stuff. Not that that's what you were saying, but, um, you know, other bands that have been around as long as, as Madness are still putting out albums. And some of them are putting out some really great, great albums. I wish I could say that this was one of them. You know, there's, there's a couple issues with it. Number one, I think there's some issues with the production quality. Um, there's a few songs on here where Woody's drums sound terrible. Sounds like he's banging on a cardboard box. So I think there's some production issues. But more than that, and I remember when this first came out, and I kind of blogged my original thoughts about this back in 2016, it didn't sound finished to me. It sounds like, I guess, to me, it sounds like demos. And I, I don't mean any offense by saying that. It just, it doesn't really sound complete, especially to me, I think, the vocals. And now as I'm thinking about it and I'm trying to think, well, what exactly is missing? I think it's missing that richness that Carl brought to the band, especially the way that he and Suggs could harmonize together. Those two singing together, you know, with Carl on the backup, it was just so rich and so, I don't know, it just, it had an oomph to it. You know what I mean? And here it's missing. So that's not to say that I think that the band is doomed without him because band members have come and gone, but this just does not feel like the band's best effort to me. And there are a few songs here that I kind of question whether they were even album worthy. I, I'm going to say this is probably my least favorite album of the entire band is canon. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, it, it was very disappointing to me. So, but uh, hey, Polly, tell us what was your what was your favorite track and what was your least favorite track? Well, so least favorite track, um, uh, no surprise, it's going to be sold and I. Um, favorite track, also probably not surprising. I'm going to say it's another version of me, but I'd like to I'd like to point out Blackbird as being, um, I think, probably one of my favorite parts of the album and I think it's a genuinely uh you know nice thing that the band did um so long as you do something like that once so there you go that's my that's my take on the the album what about you Lori favorite track I keep flip-flopping between Mr. Apples and Mumbo Jumbo so I don't know flip a coin least favorite track is probably going to be um Whistle in the Dark, I think is my least favorite track. All right, so our closing song today is going to be, um, it was a one-off song that the band released in December, 2014 as a free online download. It's called The Last Rag and Bone Man. It was written by Mike Barson and Suggs. Now, um, 
I actually had to look it up. I'm not familiar with the term rag and bone man, but a rag and bone man was somebody who would basically go door to door and collect like old scraps of like clothing and stuff that would be recycled into rags. And that's how the person would make their living. So on that note, goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Interesting metals, brass, copper and lead Colombian cigar, always on the go He scours the streets, high and low Pushing that cart, sometimes 15 mile a day Round Kentish town, up Highgate Way Whoa, whoa, he calls, ringing an old school bell But the words he's shouting, nobody can tell Lucky his terrier, like a figurehead Up the front of the car, red hanky round her head As Alf sells his ship of precious goods Up hill and dale, through your neighbourhood Well, anything unwanted, almost anything will do But if it's a nice piece, you might get a cigar too Whoa, whoa, ding, ding, he's coming up the road the cart loaded with everything from chairs to an old commode A nice bit of spoke A radiator ascot, he'll take the awkward things A bucket, an easel, a set of gas rings Rusty lawnmower, a pair of bulls' horns He's off down the scrap yard to make a bit of coal He knows all your business, everything you do Who's going where, and who's seeing who Who's not well, everyone's afflictions He knows more than the council about the parking restrictions Spins every day, pounding the streets That old car like a busy bumblebee But now he's gone I swear I still can Hear the ghost of the last rag and bone man Now he's gone I swear I still can Hear the ghost of the last rag and bone man
It's one yeah. like, like, I know this, I know a night already, do you know what I mean? But it's a fucking hit.